Hey guys, this week's episode about the best places to live in America is an encore broadcast of what was one of the more popular episodes of Deviate Season 1. It seemed like a good time to revisit its theme since the pandemic has made us all more cognizant of where we're living, where we'd rather live, and the factors that make some places more livable and affordable than others. This discussion first took place in 2018, but I think you'll find its themes and methodologies are still relevant. Here it is. I think it's really important to just get real about what's actually important to you and where you live. Um, Like we were talking about these top shelf hipster towns, you know, they have a lot of cachet and they're very cool. Um, And that does mean something to a lot of people. And that that's fine if that is important to you. But maybe it's more important to you that you don't spend 70% of your income on your house. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today's episode is a celebration of, or at least a meditation on, the best places to live in America. Now, I'll admit this is a somewhat subjective endeavor since everyone has a slightly different sense for what makes a place livable. But I think all too often we don't strategically think about which places might offer us the best quality of life. Now, to learn more about this topic, I got in touch with Winona DeMeo Ediger of Livability, which is a website that ranks various small cities around America on statistical quality of life standards. That is everything from real estate and rent prices to commuting times and job availability. I've never been a big fan of arbitrary place rankings and lifestyle listicles, but as you'll hear, even Winona will admit that livability isn't meant to be a definitive guide on where to live in America so much as a starting point for thinking about which hypothetical hometown might best fit both your budget and your way of being in the world. This is a topic that really resonates with me, since finding a cheap yet interesting place as a home base is an old travel writer's trick. And after having traveled all over the world for more than two decades, briefly settling places like Busan, Korea and Renong, Thailand, I've chosen to make my home base not in some fashionable coastal metropolis, but in a quiet part of north-central Kansas, where family is close, prices are low, and I'm able to make the most of my time on my own terms in between journeys to other parts of the world. Winona and I actually start the conversation by talking about the most livable places in my home state of Kansas, but don't worry, we eventually widen the scope of our conversation to include other under-the-radar places from coast to coast, places like Fargo and Buffalo and Savannah, Georgia and Astoria, Oregon, and many, many more. Again, these aren't prescriptions so much as suggestions, and to diversify the conversation, I invited listeners to call in and make an argument for their own ideal places to live. So by the end of this episode, you should have a lot of great ideas for finding a home of your own. Or if you don't live in the U.S., ideas for, at the very least, finding great places to visit. So let's listen in. I think oftentimes we see cool places to live in terms of alternatives to the metropole. There's New York and Los Angeles, but there's also Portland and and Austin and and Minneapolis, St. Paul and Pittsburgh, which I think I I called to you in an email, uh, top shelf hipster towns. Um, Which is perfect, by the way. Right, right. And we can can explore that idea. But I think a lot of things that people look for in the Portlands and Austins and Minneapolis, St. Paul's and Pittsburgh's of the world of America are available in hundreds of American cities. They're just not hot you know, right now. They're not the, the top shelf hipster town. They're quieter towns that we don't quite know about it. So I love the idea of the mission of livability. But why don't you tell me what livability is all about and then also how you co- collect your information and, and sort of uh, set your rankings. 
Yeah, of course. So Livability is a site that highlights what I like to call the unsung awesomeness of small to mid-sized cities and small towns. Um, And we're probably best known for our top 100 best places to live list. And that comes out every year. And how we compile that is we actually analyze over 2,000 small to mid-sized cities. Uh, We have a population cap of 350,000. And we we analyze these cities based on 40 data points, um, everything from, you know, the demographics of the city, the job opportunities, the civic engagement, the weather. Um, we have a measure that, uh, shows how likely there is to be a natural disaster because that, you know, that affects quality of life. Uh, so we apply all these different data points and we then highlight the top 100 best places to live. Is like, a work commute one of those data points like how much time you're stuck in traffic it is definitely yeah and what kind of clients who usually comes to to livability is it is it um sort of young people looking for options do you have a sense for who who reads livability yeah definitely um our main audience is definitely millennials who are looking for their next best place to live uh whether they're sort of open and just curious about different options or want to research a specific city, uh, you know, our goal is to be the go-to place for that kind of information. And do they tend to be a little bit location independent or is their interest in these cities also pegged to industry and job opportunities in that or is, or is that a part of the data point industry and job opportunities yeah um job opportunities definitely um is still very important i think that location independence is becoming more and more common and we've put out some lists like the best cities for working remotely and that kind of stuff um i personally worked remotely for five or six years so that is a topic near and dear to my heart but it's interesting because these um the job opportunities and sort of these unexpected job markets and tech hotspots that continues to be a really, um, really popular range of topics for us. So that's actually been kind of interesting to me. Yeah, well, in in having our conversation, I'd really encourage listeners not to think about things in in a top 10 list sense, but really just get to get them excited about the idea of the of the wide menu and, and palette of opportunities in places where they can live. You know, I have some friends who live in big cities. I have a friend who lives in Los Angeles, uh, and he had to get a, he he had to reserve a a preschool for his kid before the kid was born. Like he was paying for the preschool before they were born. So I think oftentimes it's good to think not just in, you know, how fashionable or how many, you know, entertainment opportunities are out there, but really how do we want to live our lives? How much time do we want to spend in traffic? How much time do we want to spend out hiking in nature? Um, uh, how much do we want to spend on a house or how much of our yearly income do we want to dedicate to spending to a house? So hopefully these these issues are the kinds of things we can think out loud about in a way that is uh, in, informative without being prescriptive. And I know that while um, livability has lists and rankings, I think that that even you would admit that it's less about the list than about the the breadth of opportunities. Oh, absolutely. So I want to touch on Kansas, which is where I'm from and where I came back to for reasons that sort of dovetail with livability. But you said you're in Nashville. Does that qualify as a livability city? You know what? We are technically a little too big to be our own city, but our offices are actually closer to Franklin, Tennessee, which is a very cute smaller city, and that does count. Okay. 
Yeah, and, and I think one dynamic that is going to come up is smaller cities near bigger cities, you know, cities yep. that, that might have better better housing prices and, and um, certain advantages, uh, you know, maybe for, for raising families or something, but yet have access to those big cities. But let's... Uh, Let's talk about Kansas first, just because I want to sort of tell my own story. I, I'm, I'm from... Yes, please. All right. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm from Wichita, which is a city I'm, I'm going to come back to because I'm very fond of Wichita. But um, through circumstances that are probably too complicated to go in here, I ended up living in the country not far from Salina, Kansas, which is sort of um, maybe a third of the way between Kansas City and Denver along I-70, smack in the middle of the country. And... While Salina is not a city that I might put in my top five list, um, I mean, part of the advantage of, of living here is that I have a rural life and I really, really enjoy um, the quietness of the country. It's a great access city uh, in that, it, you know, it has a mall and, and things to shop for, but it also has an art center where you can see art films. Like some art films come to the Salina Art Center Cinema before they come to, to Wichita or Kansas City. You know, I saw Moonlight and the Florida Project and all these great films, you know, a 20-minute drive from my rural house. Um, and then it also has the, the Stifle Theater, which which hosts like um, David Sedaris and Ira Glass and, and the, the Marsalis Brothers and Arlo Guthrie. It's a mid-size Art Deco cinema where touring acts come through. And because Salina is between Denver and Kansas City, oftentimes artists like Bob Dylan will go to the to the arena here in Salina and they'll play a show. So I saw Bob Dylan for 40 bucks a few years ago um, just because wow. of the location. Um and I noticed I'm, I'm I'm a little bit I've traveled the world, but I'm a, I'm sort of a, of a Kansas fan. Uh, Kansas is not a place people know too much about. But I I looked at the livability list, and there's three Kansas towns in the top 100, and one of which is number two. Um, so let's talk about these three Kansas towns. Just uh, we'll get we'll, we'll we'll zoom out to the entire United States in a second. But I'm curious to know Manhattan, Kansas. College Town, Kansas State University, was number two. It uh, was. And then there was also Overland Park and Lawrence. But let's start with, with Manhattan and, and what, so, what sort of data points put it so high on your rankings. Yeah. So Manhattan scored really well for great schools and a strong economy. And then just having Kansas State right in town gives it a really vibrant downtown. It creates a lot of kind of cultural opportunities and things to do. So I was really pleasantly surprised that it came in at number two and that, you know, that Kansas in general was represented so well on the list this year. Do you think affordability is a big factor that bumps uh, Kansas and other more isolated areas up, or is it the whole constellation? I I mean, I think it is everything, but affordability definitely, it's just, it's a huge, huge issue. And I think in general, Kansas does really well there because it is a more affordable state, but there are these cities there that are really vibrant and, you know, have a lot of cultural opportunities like you're talking about where you live. Um, They're just places where you can still afford to live, but there's, you don't have to sacrifice a fun, engaged life for that affordability. That's something that I, that I didn't mention is that, you know, I'm, I'm a travel writer and I'm gone from North Central Kansas a lot, but the overhead and the expenses here are so low from real estate to food to entertainment. Um, I went to Lindsborg, Kansas yesterday, which is a town I'm going to mention in a second. I treated my friends to five beers and it cost $15. You know, that's like one beer in, in parts of Manhattan. So, Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's something that the affordability thing 
just since I've started this job at Livability as the editor, I, I've been really shocked at how much affordability plays into these decisions and in terms of sort of individual stories and how the data backs that up. Um, we There was a study that came out a few months ago that was kind of asking millennials, what's important to you about places to live? And I think everyone was expecting them to say like juice bars and, you know, like avocado toast, right? That's a yeah, cliche, exactly. Right? Like access to avocado toast. But it was it was affordability. It was, can I afford to live in this place? That was the number one thing. And I think that's just really telling. So, and it makes perfect sense in aligning with why Kansas is represented. Well, I feel optimistic. I feel like it is millennials who are going to rejuvenate through their very practicality, these more isolated places. You know, I don't think we need all the cool people to cluster in Portland and Pittsburgh and Minneapolis. I think it's good that you know, you know, thoughtful people living deliberate lives are coming out to the uh, to the Manhattan, Kansases and the the Fargo, North Dakotas of of America. To to hint at a name that will come up a little bit later. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next, uh, something that appeared. I think it was in your not just the top hundred, but top fifty was Lawrence, Kansas, sort of the iconic college town of Kansas. I know a lot about it, but from from your end, what what stood out about Lawrence? Yeah, I definitely want to hear more about your your take on it. But Lawrence came in at number 28 on this year's list. Uh, it scored high in affordable housing options. The median home price there is still under $200,000, which sadly is getting more and more rare uh, in the U.S. Uh, it scored well in having a strong economy. The people who live there tend to be really engaged in the community, both kind of civically and socially. So one of the things that makes it a great place to live is that people who live there are really proud to live there and they're very involved and very connected, which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love Lawrence and, uh, I actually probably spend more time there than Manhattan, even though I live closer to Manhattan, Kansas than to Lawrence, Kansas. And I think one fun thing about the ranking is that Manhattan scored higher because Lawrence people I'm sure are not happy about that. Like, <laughs> like Lawrence is, is like the Brooklyn or Portland of Kansas, you know, it's, it, um, and they're very, they're very, um, they're very proud of being in Lawrence and I have a lot of friends and family there. Um, actually jumping back real quick, Manhattan is, is in a really beautiful setting and it has good hiking options. Um, oh, cool. and I, I'll touch on that in, in the, um, in the context of another city I want to rec recommend that's sort of the mini Manhattan. Uh, but while we're talking about Lawrence, another great advantage of Lawrence is its proximity to Kansas City, um, that in an under an hour, maybe under 45 minutes, you can be at a Royals game, for example, or you can be at 17th and Vine at the American Jazz Museum, or you can be in a lot of the the big urban entertainment districts of a city like Kansas City, the Power and Light District or the, 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 um, the uh, Country Club Plaza. Um, and those are, those are sort of obvious destinations in Kansas City. But one nice thing is that Lawrence is, is a town of sorts. It's a college town. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has proximity to, some, to those big city things, too. And I think that's something that's going to come up a lot, too, is that these smaller towns that have the, a, a town feel with city proximity. Exactly. Yeah. And it just it just goes to show that you can be near a big city without having to live in a suburb. I mean, there's nothing wrong with suburbs, but you can really live in these very unique and and fun little, you know, kind of self-contained small cities and towns and then still enjoy all of the amenities that a big city has to offer. Absolutely. And Lawrence is a great example of that. 
Uh, the last one is Overland Park, Kansas, and you probably know where it's ranked. I forget off the top of my head. Tell us what livability's take on that is. Yeah, so Overland Park is number 11. Kansas is just killing it on this list. Um, and I think what's really notable about Overland Park, uh, above all else, is just the job opportunities there. For a small city, you know, Sprint has its world headquarters there. So it's got jobs, job options that are really, really great and plentiful. Um, and then in addition to that, there's low property taxes, tons of stuff, you know, outdoor recreation. And again, you find that that tight knit sense of community that you don't necessarily find in bigger cities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good data point to keep in mind. Like I'm fairly location independent myself. So sometimes I forget that. Um, but having an industry like sprint, uh, and then actually there's, there's the reverse option. Cause I think Overland park is maybe 30 minutes from Lawrence, you know, so you can, you can go and enjoy some of the amenities of Lawrence if you want to get out, I mean, Overland Park in my, it's very suburban, right? It's not a small town. Mm -hmm. It's very much a suburb of Kansas City. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned those on livability. And just because I know Kansas well, I'm going to mention three alternatives to those three towns and why. Um, and I'll start with Manhattan. Uh, I mentioned that I, I got three beers for $15 yesterday. Uh, not necessarily, it wasn't happy hour. They were good beers. They were Goose Island IPA and, and, and Blue Moon, I think. It wasn't just Bud Light. But um, it's a little college town called Lindsborg. And it's a different monster than, than Manhattan. Manhattan is a college town. Uh, Lindsborg only has 3,000 people, but it's called Little Sweden of Kansas. My sister is actually a professor at Bethany College there. And the way it resembles Manhattan is that it's, it's a college town in a very beautiful setting. So like Manhattan... Within minutes, you can be at the Kanza Prairie Preserve or the Tallgrass Prairie National Preser Natural Preserve and be hiking in a landscape that's really unique to Kansas and uniquely beautiful. When I have guests, sometimes they'll come into this landscape that's all tall grass and no trees and rolling hills, and they have never seen this outside of a movie and can hardly believe it's real. Um, Lindsborg is not next to Kanza Prairie, but it's close to Kanopolis State Park which has Horse Thief Canyon, which is a great place not only for hiking, but for mountain biking and for horseback riding. In fact, it's a national class area for horseback riding. Uh, and then it's, it's a, not just small town, but super small town feel. It's very friendly, and it sort of has its Swedish distinctiveness that you can go downtown and see dollar horses, eat Swedish food, buy Swedish souvenirs, have coffee at little coffee houses at, and beers at, at pretty friendly local pubs. So that's my Manhattan parallel. That sounds amazing. I am taking notes over here, just FYI. Awesome, yeah. And, you know, when I put out, I'll get in a second to um, when I put out requests on social media for suggestions, I think that there are, I guess there's only one little Sweden in Kansas, right? But I think there's other little towns <laughs> that um, that have good housing prices and are close to cool stuff. I mean, another advantage of, of Lindsborg is that it's 30 minutes from Salina, which has art cinemas and has national touring acts, but 60 minutes from um, from Wichita, which has even, you know, a great airport and um, great restaurants and other things that I'll get to in a second. Uh, and so I think that there's other parallels to Lindsborg, but I'm a big fan of Lindsborg, and I literally had a beer there yesterday. Um, now, Lawrence, of course, and again, Lawrence, I think, will always be a top-shelf Kansas town because it's such a vibrant – it's like a national-class university town, and I think we'll, we'll come back to university towns a lot because there's a lot going on in, in university towns. But Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's interesting that Lawrence is close to Kansas City, uh, and that's one of its advantages. But there's actually little satellite towns of Lawrence where people have gone to get cheaper property 
little college towns close to Lawrence that, that have proximity. One of them is Baldwin City, home of Baker University. And I looked at the housing prices, and they're, they've, they've actually gone up so much that they're almost the same as Lawrence. But for ha- and um, Baldwin City is probably about 30 minutes drive from Lawrence. If you go five more minutes down to Ottawa, also a little Kansas town, Ottawa, Kansas, home of, home of Ottawa University, little small college, maybe 600 students, the, the housing prices are half of what you'll find in Lawrence. Oh, wow. Uh, so for affordability, and again, I'm using these home value index uh, numbers you find online, and I'm sure there's a lot of, of variability. I haven't spent a lot of time in Ottawa, but I've driven through it. It seems like a cool place with um, – well, actually, I've driven through it. I've, I've had meals there before. It has a cute little downtown. It has interesting houses, and it is under $100,000. Its home value in, index is not just under 200000 but it's under $100,000. Um, and while my hard – Data on uh, Ottawa is is lacking. I think the fact that it's 35 minutes from Lawrence and not that much further to Kansas City and under 100000 for a house means that that's a place that a millennial who is strategic or, heck, you know, a boomer who's looking for a place to retire, yeah. uh, that's something to keep in mind. Definitely. Uh, and the last one is the is um, this this is where my homer really kicks in is Wichita as, as, a, as a counterbalance to Overland Park. Um, and... Wichita is a lot different than Overland Park. And in fact, when I was growing up, we sort of saw Overland Park, the Shawnee Mission Schools up there as sort of the rich kids, right? Like they had a, mm-hmm. in the 80s, they had a hippie day and they, and at Shawnee Mission East, and they accidentally put a Mercedes sign instead of a peace sign on their banners <laughs> and were the, the so, source of national ridicule. Now, I don't want to slag on Overland Park because obviously there's a lot of good factors there, but Wichita is a place that, um, that has, it's a post industrial town. It used, they used to make airplanes there that has a lot of advantages of towns. Like Pittsburgh, for example, that ha- um, have become fashionable. Um, it has it has diversity. Um, it has great food. It has a lot of brew pubs now. Uh, and again, it it has value. It's it's not an expensive place to live. Uh, let's see. It is less than half of Overland Park. The index I saw on Overland Park. And again, Overland Park is 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 a wealthy suburb of Kansas City. I'm trying to see. Uh, it's it's almost three hundred thousand dollars, whereas the index for Wichita houses is one hundred and twenty thousand um, dollars. Oh wow! So, so real estate wise, uh, it's it's a place. And, and this is this is another interesting aside is that I had a friend who was writing a destination guide for Thrillist, and I sent him to talk to some of my friends in Wichita because Wichita was on his list, and. This might be a tip, and we can get to this later. If you're interested in a town, find someone who loves that town. Because he talked to my friend Mike and, and Michael and Jed, and he wrote this glowing review to, for Thrillist because he went to all these super cool pubs that have opened up in the last two or three years. These restaurants, there's like a Vietnamese food scene in Wichita that has made the New York Times. Um, and so, oh, I love that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, and I feel like maybe Wichita isn't alone. That's, you know, someone from, from the, the Omaha or Little Rock or Tulsa could make a similar argument. But for, again, for half the price of Overland Park, Wichita is a pretty cool place that surprises me. I grew up there, but it surprises me every time I go home. Which is a great quality in a place. That's one of my favorite favorite things about Nashville as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 late down the line, you can you can riff on Nashville, but I, I I feel proud of Wichita every time I travel back through and see the the cool new donut shop or the or the innovative uh, brewery, and even Salina, where I live, um, has has a brew pub. It's a, a town of fifty thousand people, but it has a brew pub that that uses a lot of local ingredients. There's a research institute here called the Land Institute, 
Um, I actually interviewed a guy from that recently to talk about sustainable agriculture, but they use this new grain in their in their in their IPA that's that's been developed wow. locally. So I love it. Anyhow, I, I don't want to just be a, a, a Kansas promoter this whole episode. So, <laughs> so let's go to the livability picks. Now, there's 100, and in the show notes, you know, re readers or listeners can go and, and look at the livability links. But uh, let's talk about the, the cities that, that you mentioned to me in the email and why of the top 100 towns they stood out to you. Yeah, so I kind of just chose a selection that I thought were varied and offered a lot of different different lifestyles for different interests. And most of these are on the top 100 list, but not all of them actually. So we're kind of going going off the list a well, little bit. Some of them are on the affordable list though, right? Exactly, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah, so yeah, we can actually start with the best affordable places to live list, which the number two city on that one is Buffalo, New York. Um, this is just a really great changing, evolving city that is still ridiculously affordable. Uh, the median home price there right now is $76,000. I saw that. Uh, that is just, that's amazing. Yeah. I had to check that three times before, before publishing the list and before recording this podcast because I kept thinking it was a typo. It's just so, it's so low. But then what you get for that price is there's, you know, you get, Pro sports. There's a brewery scene there. Um, I keep hearing about the kind of the youth culture of Buffalo and how that is um, really changing the city and just adding this new fun energy. There's a really innovative art scene there that I think people wouldn't expect. So Buffalo, definitely, definitely check it out. If you can handle the cold, it's it's worth checking out. I was going to ask that. Um, that definitely a, a data point there. It's actually, it's, it has great proximity to Canada, like literal yeah. walkable prox proximity to Canada. So it's sort of an international city in a counterintuitive way. It, yes, that's a great point. Um, yeah, actually I had, when I put out a call for suggestions on social media, one person posted and say, hey, I just got to Buffalo, never been here before, but it's blowing me away. I, I love the vibe here, so. That's what I keep hearing, and it is, I love, 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 cities that have that kind of unexpected element to them, like I mentioned earlier, and just sort of you you get there and you're like, where where am I? What is, what is this magical place? I felt that way when I first visited like Chattanooga, Tennessee, for example, and Ashland, Oregon. Um, I just I just love that. I love this topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next city I wanted to talk about is Rochester, Minnesota, another, you know, cold city, but a great city. Uh, this was actually number one on our best places to live list last year for 2017. Um, this is just a really cool city because it's about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. Uh, but the home prices there are right around 200000 So, you know, it's not super cheap, but it's definitely still counts as affordable. But what makes it uh, extra affordable is that the Mayo Clinic is there, which means that the job opportunities there for really, really good quality, high paying jobs are plentiful. And they're always looking for more residents to fill those jobs. So you get a really, you know, a population there that's well educated, well paid. So that brings in a lot of culture and diversity. So it's a really special, interesting little, little self-contained city. Uh, and then I got to give a shout out to a Tennessee city next. Um, I wanted to talk about Kingsport, Tennessee. Have you ever been to Kingsport? Not only have I not been to Kingsport, I had to look it up when I saw it on your list. Uh, well, yes, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It's um, it's part of the Tri-Cities over in 
East Tennessee, which includes Johnson City and Bristol. It is that part of the country in general is just stunningly gorgeous. Every everywhere you turn, it's like just takes your breath away. Beauty. Um, the median home price there is one hundred twenty four thousand. Mm. The outdoor opportunities are you, there's just so much stuff to do. And then I have to tell you, when I was um, brainstorming the cities to add to this list, I mentioned Kingsport in the office and sort of everyone around me just started yelling, Pals, Pals Restaurant, make sure you talk about Pals Restaurant. So there's a restaurant there, Pals, Pals Restaurant. And I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, certain coworkers say it has the best hangover food in the country. So, I mean, I felt like I had to mention that. I love it. I love it. Have, have you heard of the trash plates and garbage plates in Rochester, New York? Um, no, but I want to. Yeah, actually, that that could be its own that could be its own book. You know, like road tripping the hangover food of America. I, you know, I think. Oh that... wow! Let's do it, Rolf. Awesome! Awesome! <laughs> it can be a TV show. Um, yes. Hangover USA. Um, one thing I noticed when I was looking up Kingsport, it's also close to like um, Seaverville and, and Pigeon Forge. Um, I'm not yep. even sure if I pronounced Seaverville correctly, but I know that those are sort of mountain towns, right? Yeah, definitely. There's there are these kind of mountain resort towns in the Smoky Mountains. Um, you know, there's Dollywood there, which is obviously a a bucket list item for many of us. There's uh, lots to do in terms of you know, hiking and outdoor stuff. And then there's, you know, amusement park, shopping, food. So yeah, it's just, there's a lot around it, but it's very much like its own, its own little city. All right. I might have to road trip through there. Okay. What's highly recommend. What's next on your list? Yeah. So next up is Fargo, North Dakota and Fargo shows up on so many of our lists. It's just the city that just keeps popping up on my radar for so many different reasons. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting and unexpected about Fargo is that it has a really vibrant startup scene and art scene that's happening right now. Um, there's just a lot of young people moving there and a lot, a lot happening. And I think a lot is happening because a lot can happen there because you can afford to live there and there's, you know, there's just opportunities. Um, Fargo is one city that actually came up in an article we did a few months ago that I really loved where we interviewed travel writers and just said, Hey, you could live anywhere in the world. Why do you live where you live? And one of the travel writers, um, Alicia Underly Nelson, she lives in Fargo. And if I could just read her quote really quick, I thought it was really interesting. She said, I can be a travel writer anywhere, but it's easy and affordable to be a travel writer and an artist and a business owner in Fargo. The art scene is small, supportive, and as unpretentious as you can possibly get. Taking yourself too seriously will score you an epic eye roll here. In Fargo and in North Dakota in general, if you have a good idea and you can make it work, you just do it. Almost everybody in my circle has a side hustle. Almost everybody creates something beautiful in their spare time. And both your friends and people you only vaguely know will show up to support your ribbon cutting or gallery opening or book signing. Not everywhere is like that. So I just love that quote, and I think that's really indicative of a lot of these small cities as well, Um, especially in terms of the creative culture, being just more inclusive and welcoming and not as competitive. Uh, So Fargo, I think, is a perfect example of that. 
I love that so much, and it feels really parallel to my situation. I'm, I mean, I'm a Saline County, Kansas-based travel writer, and when yeah. people when people think of Kansas, they think there's no place like home, and when people think of Fargo, they think of Marge Gunderson saying, "Yeah, sure, you betcha." Um, <laughs> yeah, and so exactly. It's these two places that are competing against these these major successful motion pictures and/or television shows, <laughs> and so the fact that there's just all this awesome stuff and and actual just sort of vibrant uh, arts communities that that's really about collaboration instead of competition. I love to hear that. Yep. I love it too. And I think that's, that alone to me is just makes it worth looking at these places as alternatives to the big cities. I mean, just being able to kind of do your thing and feel the support of your community around you and just feel that there are options and opportunities rather than you're sort of fighting for every, you know, for these limited scarce opportunities. It's just, I think that creates a, you know, a higher quality of life. Yeah, no, I like it. I've noticed that three of these four recommendations so far are very cold places. So it sounds like if you can, if you can get a down coat, then you can, (laughs) you can really, if you don't mind being cold for a big chunk of the year, then there's a lot of opportunities in these, these uh, forgotten, but yet now being re-remembered parts of the American North. (laughs) That is definitely a theme. Uh, So what's next? What do we, what do we have next? Yeah, so next, let's go deep down south and go to Savannah, Georgia. Uh, This actually, have you ever been to Savannah? I have. um, And yeah, actually, I went on a a travel writing assignment, um, sort of kayaking around off the coast of Savannah, not Savannah proper. Yeah. Uh, And it's funny that having gone through, I have such, it's a beautiful place. And in my mind, it's so tourist friendly that I assumed it wasn't affordable. Uh, so that yes, that was my exact my exact thought about it. Um, when it popped up on our affordable cities list, I said this this must be some kind of error. Um, but in fact, the median home price is right around two hundred thousand, about two nineteen. Um, and it, yeah, it's one of those cities that it's yeah, it's so touristy, so vibrant. There's all this history and food and beauty. I I just had to mention it because I felt the same way. How is this still? fairly affordable. Yeah, and I often think of it sort of in the same uh, vein as, as Charleston, which is also on the coast, but it's cheap. It's a lot cheaper than Charleston. It is. Yep. And I, yeah, I agree completely. And unlike a lot of our other recommendations, it's not super cold in the winter. So no, it's sure not. So if you, if you like that deep south warm weather, then definitely check out Savannah. It is almost by reputation like a top five iconic southern, beautiful southern town, you know. Um, yes. New Orleans might be off your chart, but <clears throat> again, the, the Charlestons and, and the Savannas and um, these, these other places that just call forth, you know, Spanish moss on the trees and, and sort of a slower pace of life. Exactly. It's just, it's so beautiful. You assume that you have to pay top dollar for that beauty, and that's just not true. Love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So next is Cincinnati, and this is the biggest city that I'm going to talk about today, but um, it came in also on our best affordable places list, and I wanted to mention it just because it it really does feel like a big city and it gives you all of the, you know, the amenities of a big city. You get the pro sports teams, you get the restaurants, you get just sort of that metropolitan feel, but it is so affordable to live there. The median rent is only $649, which is, you know, less than, I feel like that's about less than half of the 
current average. It's just, it's just a very affordable place to live. And, um, it's another one of those places that, uh, you know, even just the price of going out for beers with friends is, you know, kind of similar to what you were talking about earlier. And that, and that's really, it seems trivial, but it's really important. Yeah. I like the idea that you can save thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars a year, just by doing the same thing that you would do in a more expensive city, but doing it in in, in a Cincinnati or, or a Fargo instead of an Austin or a Brooklyn, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, actually, well, I'll get to this later. I'm, I'm curious about Ohio because having road tripped through Ohio many times without having stopped there very much. Actually, I'll just touch on it right now. Like I know yeah. the, the comedian Dave Chappelle, um, he moved back to Yellow Springs, Ohio, you know, just sort of a semi-rural, yeah. sort of little little college or post-college town. And I love that idea. I mean, I, I, I that's so awesome that he did that, that he didn't, when he became, you know, independently wealthy, his happy place was not uh, a big city. But um, this cool little, this funky little town in Ohio. Yeah, Ohio in general, I think that's another place that just keeps showing up, popping up on my radar and popping up on, you know, in different ways on livability. Yeah, Athens, Ohio was recommended to me. Um, oh, yeah, I've heard good things about that, too. Yeah, okay. Sorry for the aside, but I was just curious. Oh, it's, it's all good. Okay. Um, yeah, and then the final place that I wanted to talk about today is kind of a personal recommendation just because it's one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, and that's Astoria, Oregon. Um, I'm from Oregon and Astoria is one of my favorite places. Have you ever been Rolf? I've been through, you know, I've been to some, some Oregon beach cities, but just because of where I lived when I lived in Oregon, I went straight out to Lincoln city and then I went to like Hunts Point or some of the state parks that are proximal to, um, Oh, not Hunts Point, Hearts Cove, uh, or some of the places that were proximal to Lincoln City. And so maybe, like, I know that, that Astoria is beautiful, but also like most Americans, I think of the Goonies, or maybe one of flew course. over the cuckoo's nest. And yes. so, so preach, <laughs> preach sister on the, on the, on the oh glories of God. Astoria. I've been waiting my whole life for someone to say that. Um, so Astoria, I think, is just really special because, you know, the Oregon coast is pretty iconic and everyone who visits, like you're saying, you tend to go to Lincoln City, Cannon Beach, Newport, and those are all beautiful beach towns. But Astoria is way up in the northwestern tip and it definitely doesn't it doesn't feel so much like a beach town as more of this sort of time traveler, like salty port town. And I just, I've always loved that vibe in general, but Astoria. Almost like a, like a Norwegian fjord town or yes. something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of those places you, you get out of your car and you're like, where, where am I? This is, and, and when am I? Like, it's, it's just very cool. There's an old movie theater. There's lots of breweries, really great food. Um, yeah, it's there's a large like Scandinavian population that has that has a great like effect on the culture and lots of kind of quirky stores and festivals, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's and it's just a couple hours from Portland. It's just this little gem. And I just love it. I think if anyone's ever in that area of the country, it's worth popping over there and also worth checking out as a place to live if you're if you're like that kind of place, um, especially because Oregon is getting ridiculously expensive. I feel like it just gets more and more expensive as we speak. Um, but Astoria is still affordable ish. Um, it's about 239,000 is the, is the median home price, which for Oregon is very, very affordable. Yeah. You know, I went, I went to college in sort of exurban Portland, not suburban, but exurban Portland. And I oftentimes joke that if I had just 
spent tuition money on real estate instead of tuition and just waited for, you know, 20 years, then uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be living pretty today. That uh, is so accurate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I looked at the prices on Portland. It, it is, you know, of the top shelf hipster towns that I've been mentioning, it's by far the most expensive. It's it's crazy. I mean, um, my partner and I actually, we lived in Nashville for a few years and then we were both from that area. And so we, a couple years ago, we decided we were going to move back just because we missed our families and stuff. And it was, it was a really rude awakening to realize we had been priced out of our own hometown, basically. You know, that's just not a good feeling. Yeah, that's a bummer, especially because there's so much to love about Portland. So much to Absolutely. love about that city. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll preach on Nashville uh, or greater Nashville for a second, and then we'll go on to my listener picks and, and riff a little bit on what people have been telling me have been great little cities. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. Um, so I'm just a huge fan of Nashville in general. Um, I actually came here for just a three-day weekend, and I think within about six hours of stepping off the plane, I realized this is where I want to live, and six months later, uh, I had sold all my stuff and and showed up back in Nashville. Um, it's a really, really friendly city. Uh, it, it definitely has that sense of Southern hospitality, but then it's also a progressive city. There's amazing food. I think the creative culture here is, you know, kind of like we were talking about with Fargo. It's just very welcoming and inclusive. Um, the vibe here is very much like, what creative thing are you doing? And how can I help you do it? And how can you help me do my creative thing? And I just, I love that energy. Um, and then, of course, just having live music everywhere all the time and a lot of times for free is just it's such an awesome bonus. Yeah, that's really the reputation of Nashville is is music. Um, yeah. And so it's nice to hear that that's that's branched out to other kinds of creative expression from the sounds of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that a lot of the just all kinds of creative industries are really growing here. And like the the food scene is amazing. There's a lot of writing and storytelling happening, lots of, lots of art stuff. It's just, it's a really cool place to be. And it's, you know, it's growing really fast, like a lot of places and it's not, the growth isn't always good, but I think in general, we're moving in the right direction. It's another place I haven't been. I'm really sorry, Tennessee. I've been, I've spent a lot of time in Memphis and the barbecue <laughs> there is fantastic, but I have not been uh, to Nashville, uh, which oh is a shame. Oh my gosh, Ralph, you got to come up. We will host you at Livability. We would love to have you. I, I love it. You're in trouble because I'm going to do that. Yay. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go on my listener picks, and it's interesting that the, the, the by far the most uh, recommended town was not Nashville, but Asheville, North Carolina. Sure, yeah. Um, and so, so the top five, just to sort of frame things out here, was Asheville, North, North Carolina, Traverse City, uh, Michigan, Marfa, Texas, Charleston, South Carolina, and Bend, Oregon. Uh, so let's let's touch on Asheville because I've been hearing about Asheville forever. Is it is it, and certainly it's appearing in the top one hundred of livability, right? It is. Yep. It was this year. It was number thirty six. Yeah, and I guess that leads to a question. We'll just use we'll just pick on Asheville as an example of this. Is that every time I hear about Asheville, it sounds like the Santa Fe of you know the Mountain South. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. It's an outdoor town. It's a little bit hippy dippy and progressive, and great arts and food, and just weird, you know, natural food stores and stuff. But Santa Fe, which is a, is a lovely place, is just cripplingly expensive these it days, is, unfortunately. Um, and so, is and this is a hypothetical that you can't really a answer, but we can riff on it. Is popularity ruining Asheville? Is Asheville, you know, is is 
does this become a problem? You know, Portland has become extraordinarily expensive, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is Asheville headed the way of Santa Fe or is there, is there a way to determine that? What's What are the livability thoughts on Asheville? Yeah. The, I mean, these are all great questions. Um, I mean, Asheville, it definitely is still a great city and it's it's getting more expensive, but it still is, you know, it's it's doable. Um, I think what's interesting about Asheville is I think in a lot of ways they are trying to be really mindful about the growth and, you know, growth is actually one of our data points. So like for our top 100, a city really needs to be growing to make the list because that to us is a positive thing and it means more opportunities and it means kind of the cities on the up and up. So, you know, growth is good, but it's just, it's so tricky how to manage that and how to maintain that affordability. Um, yeah, I kind of see Asheville, maybe the opportunity with Asheville in addition to the city is like you're talking about in Kansas, some of those some of those really, really cool smaller towns outside of Asheville. I'm obsessed with a town called Black Mountain that's pretty near Asheville. Um, so there's there's a lot of like potential for it to sort of grow outward into these very quirky little small towns. But yeah, it kind of remains to be seen how that'll pan out. I can see that, you know, my first vagabonding trip uh, when I was living in a van and discovering America, which I just was completely lo loved that trip. I was in Brevard, North Carolina, um, mm. which is a little college town. It may be like a community college town, but it's it's up there in the mountains. You can go whitewater rafting. You know, you can go hiking and rock climbing. And I think it's the Brevards and the Black Mountains of that region, I think, might be, you know, sort of counterbalances or other options if you like the setting of Asheville, but you want a place that's smaller or quieter or less likely to be outrageously expensive. Exactly. Yes. So number two, Traverse City, this this blew me away. It, it actually, Asheville, Asheville was, was extraordinarily popular. I think it had twice as much as anybody else, as any others. But Traverse City, uh, Michigan was popular too. And it's a place that I've heard of, but haven't really... Maybe my my innate midwesterner my midwestern assumptions that midwestern places aren't as sexy as <laughs> as they as they might be made me not think about Traverse City. But then I started looking up. It's sort of it's a beach town on Lake Michigan. Um, it has some it has festivals. It has a lot of outdoor activities. It has a minor league baseball team that I think is called the Beach Bums. Um, oh my gosh, I love it. And so I'm completely enamored by the idea of Traverse City, which is a place I've never been before. Is is Traverse City on the radar at livability? You know, it it sort of is. It wasn't necessarily on my radar. I had a very similar experience as you when you mentioned that your readers had recommended it. Um, I thought I was going to not find much on it, but then I looked it up on our site, and it has been on so many lists and featured in so many articles. It's been on our best foodie towns, best small towns, best cities for book lovers, best winter vacation spots. Um, that's it's you know, it's happening. It feels like a sleeper. Um, totally. Yes. One thing that surprised me is that price wise, it's not super cheap. Like it's, it's, it's less expensive than Minneapolis, Minnesota, but more expensive than St. Paul, Minnesota, right? It's, um, interesting. It's around just under $240,000 on the home value index. Um, but much like Tennessee, I think I might have to check that place out. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I feel the same way after looking into it. I'm very intrigued. See what the buzz is. Now, the next one is Marfa, which I think is an interesting, like I've heard about Marfa my whole life. 
It is, it's a total art town, just a, a like a weirdo art town, which sounds delightful. It uh-huh. is a couple hours of, of uh, Big Bend National Park in western Texas. So, you know, Texas is so huge that it that different parts of Texas belong to different parts of America. You know, there's like Bayou, Texas in the east and sort of Midwest Texas up north. And this is almost like it, it could be New Mexico out in Marfa. The thing that blew me away is that it's really expensive, like really expensive. Yeah, I was I was really surprised by that as well. So I think this might be if you're a boomer um, and you have savings and you want to retire to a, a funky place in the desert, then Marfa's your thing. But man, like it was, I mean, it outpaces Portland everything. Unless I was looking at the wrong information, uh, uh, it, it almost... It's it's sort of in that Santa Fe category, I think, of this town in the West that's super cool, but but maybe no longer yep. affordable. Yep, yeah, that was kind of my my take on it too. But I definitely want to go visit and learn more about it. It looks very very funky and artsy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's sort of a more of a boutique town that's cool, but maybe not quite in the affordable range, and and hence and maybe yeah maybe less likely to, to appear in the livability list. Um, the fourth most popular choice was Charleston, South Carolina, which, as I said before, uh, is more expensive than Savannah. That surprised me. I sort of thought of those towns as, as hand-in-hand on, the, on yeah. the, that beautiful part of the Atlantic coast. Is there any data on Charleston from the livability end? Yeah. So Charleston uh, came in at number 27 on this year's top 100 list, and it scored really well in um, the economic indicators. So there's good job opportunities. It's... Um, just, you know, good, just a strong local economy there. Um, it scored well also in education. There's the college there. They have, again, a very engaged community that I think people in Charleston have a lot of, they're just really proud of their city and proud to live there and act accordingly, which is really nice. Yeah, I got the sense that there was diversity, not just racial diversity, but sort of cultural diversity too, you know? Yeah, definitely. A night on the town gives you a lot of different options. Yep, exactly. All right. So the last one is maybe close to your heart too, Bend, Oregon. Did you spend any time there coming up? Yes, Bend is close to my heart as well. Um, Bend is a really cool town. A lot of my, a lot of people I know that are from the Portland area are sort of migrating over to Bend. Um, it's very, it's just awesome for um, people who like the outdoors. And then I think what also makes it really special as an Oregon city is that it is sunny there. So that is definitely holds a lot of appeal for those of us who are used to the the gray skies of the rest of the state. The dreary winters. That was one thing. It's not cold in Oregon, but man, those winters are gray. Yet they definitely, they're just unrelentingly gray. It's, I always tell people that it's not, it doesn't actually even rain as much as people think it's really just this sort of gray drizzliness yeah in 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 my mind i've always thought of of bend as as sort of a sister city of hood river but then i looked at the map and they're not that close together actually oh one's on yeah bend is out in eastern eastern oregon and it's i mean it's a beautiful place and there's it's definitely one of those places that has a really up and coming like youthful energy with and bringing with that is a lot of you know, kind of brew pubs and and that emerging art scene and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I, I looked up its its uh, home value index though, but it's above four hundred thousand. It sure is, unfortunately. Yeah, I was trying to find more Oregon cities that we could talk about for affordability, and it's just it's getting harder and harder. So, what are some what are some factors that 
maybe if, if my listeners are thinking, yeah, you know, I, I, I want an affordable and cool place where I can sort of exercise my happiness. What are things to look for? How can, um, besides rankings like livabilities, uh, how can we find places and what are some things to keep in mind as we're looking for the best places to live? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. It's one of my favorite, favorite questions. Um, I think just, I hope this isn't too woo woo, but I think, I think kind of following your curiosity is a really good way to start going about this. Like just personally, I just was always curious about Nashville and I just booked that, you know, that weekend trip and I didn't know it was going to change my life, but it did. Um, so I think that there's definitely something there and kind of, if you have a little spark of curiosity about a place to explore it, both, you know, researching and talking to people, but you know, just go, go spend a weekend there and see, and see if you get that feeling of this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, but then in addition to that, you know, I want to tell people to read our site, of course, cause we have articles every day, um, about different places and we, tr- we get writers from all over the country to just talk about different places that are special and interesting and unique. And I just love reading these different narratives and insights about that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think it's really important to just get real about what's actually important to you and where you live. Um, like we were talking about these top shelf hipster towns, you know, they have a lot of cachet and they're very cool. Um, and that does mean something to a lot of people and that that's fine if that is important to you, but maybe it's more important to you that you don't spend 70% of your income on your house and that you have money to either travel other places or to, you know, get involved in the community or, or practice a a hobby or, or something that means a lot more to you. Um, I think that we all just have different priorities and we, there is a place for each of us that where we can truly live according to what those priorities are. Okay, keeping in mind the different priorities that inspire us to live in different places, I put out a call to listeners to make a case for their own favorite places to live, and I got a great response, which I'm going to share now. I got suggestions from people in all walks of life, including best-selling travel writers, lifestyle bloggers, and the touring musician Gooding, whose music you should check out if you haven't already. I put a link to his website in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. These suggestions span the country from New York and Massachusetts to Florida and Tennessee to Illinois and Ohio and New Mexico. The first suggestion, as you will hear, comes from Adam Carlin, a travel writer for places like BBC, World Hum, and Lonely Planet. Like me, Adam shares a reluctance for making definitive lists and rankings of destinations. Best of lists, he says, can be misleading since it presumes that if you go to X or Y, then you will have a good time. But the you in question can vary according to age and race and gender and even how you react to certain kinds of weather. Adam is of mixed race heritage. To some, he looks Middle Eastern or maybe Latino. And he told me how when he visited a certain top-ranked, quote, friendliest city, he found that some people acted less than friendly toward him than to other people, such as his wife, who looked unambiguously white. Adam's point here is not that people of color are going to feel uncomfortable everywhere they go in America, but that each community has its own vibe and you should trust your own individual instincts and sensibilities before you decide which place is the right one for you. Now, I don't have time to share my entire conversation with Adam, but I will kick off my series of listener recommendations with his suggestion of a great little mountain community in Virginia. Here goes. I guess some people say Stanton, but no, Stanton, Virginia. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's out in the Shenandoahs. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head how many hours west of Richmond. Uh, I want to say a couple hours. Um, it's a really 
beautiful town for one. Um, they, it's retained a lot of its historic architecture, which for me is a big draw for any kind of uh, for any kind of place. I mean, I'm not a fan of kind of suburban American cookie cutter architecture, but it, it, the building you, you get a real distinctive sense of place when you're walking on the street there. Um, it's surrounded by a lot of natural beauty. Um, there are a few colleges there, so it's got small colleges, so it has that you know that youthful vibe. Um, there's a lot of the usual, not a lot of nice little cafes and restaurants and walking distance. And then it also has this Shakespeare theater. I think it's called the American Shakespeare theater. Um, and it's, it's actually built in the fashion of the globe. Um, and it's really cool. They, you, it attracts Shakespearean actors from around the world who kind of rotate in and out of that company. And they put on this fantastic theater in this small town out in the mountains. So you know, cheap cost of living, fresh air, um, and a place where I've always felt really comfortable walking around. My name's Jamie Lee Jocelyn, and I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm here to recommend Galena, Illinois, which is perhaps the smallest of cities. I, I can't believe it's called a city, and it's only 3,500 people, and it's the type of place that you should go if you want a small community where you can make real impact and where there's a ton of stuff happening. Uh, Galena's in the northwestern part of Illinois on the Mississippi River, former steamboat hub and mining town, and now it's a great tourist destination for people who love uh, American history. There's all kinds of festivals there. There's weekly farmer's markets. There's uh, a, a great brewery. I was there on a bicycle trip from Philadelphia to San Francisco, and Galena was one of the highlights of that 3,800-mile trip. Uh, my boyfriend and I were offered a place to stay for free by uh, a man who lives and operates a small business in Galena just because he saw us and he, he wanted to help us however he could. He saw our loaded up bicycles and saw that we were having a conversation that looked like one of us, that would be me, was a little frustrated and he just wanted to kind of offer us, offer us something that day and it was, it was fantastic. That's the kind of person who lives in Galena. Uh, and and that's why we were so grateful and so charmed by it. I um, think you would want to live there if you're the type of person who wants a small community where you can make real impact, and I think it would be important to really, really care about having a hand in what happens there. I believe Galena's relatively inexpensive. Houses I looked are for sale, you know, mid-range from about 150000 to 250000 some cheaper, some more expensive. Uh, it's right across the river from Dubuque, Iowa, so if there were work opportunities there, you would have access from Galena. Uh, I think it's a great place for people who love music, people who love the outdoors. I believe there's skiing not far in the winter, and uh, I've never lived in Galena, but it is a fantasy of mine, and, and I know at the very least I'll be back there for a, a vacation at some point in the future. This is Max Hartzorn, the editor of GoNomad.com. One of the places I'd seriously recommend is a place right down the street from me, Northampton, Massachusetts. It's one of those towns that you go into and you you say to yourself, wow, how can there be that many restaurants and that many arts clubs and that many galleries and music venues in one little town of about 30,000? Well, it's located in western Massachusetts. It's a great town for families, for just people that want to walk around the streets after dinner. It's one of those places where you actually do have a place to walk. And that's one of the things that's special about it. If you're looking for music, if you're looking for arts, you're looking for a great meal, 
There's about 75 restaurants in Northampton, Massachusetts. I've lived in this valley for about 30 years, and I'd have to say Northampton is the jewel of the Pioneer Valley. Hey, my name's Gooding. I am a songwriter and touring musician. I've been very fortunate to live all over the country and tour all over the country. About two years ago, I moved to Kingston Springs, Tennessee, about 15, 20 miles outside of Nashville. Uh, I call it the Enchanted Forest. There's state parks everywhere. There's canoeing, zip lining. It's a peaceful community. Uh, everybody I've met here has been really nice. I could do without the freaking Confederate flags outside of the city, but it's been amazing. Um, I moved here from Los Angeles, so affordability-wise, it's much easier. A lot of the uh, houses here, you know, 200K to 400K, you can get a nice spot with some land. You can still get into the city for the best food and some of the best songwriting and festivals. And Nashville has got all kinds of music these days, too. It's definitely not just country um, but, you know, it's peaceful out here. There's no state tax in Tennessee, which is helpful when you're building a business. Um, I'm I'm really, really uh, excited to kind of be away from the highways and the smog. And if you're looking to get out of a city, this is a, a peaceful place. And the prices of Nashville and all the cranes building the city over there have not hit out here yet. But it's definitely coming this way. Um, anyway, I stumbled onto it um, when I was on on tour. My wife actually found it, and our next door neighbors are uh, Loretta Lynn's keyboard player and a woman who sang on all the Stax records and Muscle Shoals stuff. It's just a heck of a community, a lot of musicians and just a lot of good people. Hello, my name is Michelle Herman, and I'd like to recommend Buffalo, New York, because the city is going through a great revival right now. They think suits singles or those that are starting out on their own, perhaps young families. Um, you know, if you're really into dining, um, the scene there is really thriving. You've got experimental restaurants, craft breweries, cocktail bars, and food trucks where the menus are reasonably priced. Um, for example, if you're going out to dinner for two, um, you could probably do well and have a good um, meal with drinks for about maybe around $7,500, $100. Um, but if you're still a fan of a dive bar or a good wing joint, don't worry, you'll still have those around. Um, if you're looking for things to do on the weekends, there's sports teams, park system, music venues, art galleries. You won't get bored easily. And there's a lot of great up-and-coming neighborhoods. Um, they're known for shopping, like Eldwood. Elmwood Village is really cool, too. And also, you know, for example, if you really appreciate architecture, you'll do well there. There's a lot of great turn-of-the-century buildings that are being repurposed for local businesses, housing, um, you know, restaurants would have you. So you definitely um, find a lot for um, your value up there. And, you know, definitely check it out. This is Patricia Schultz, the author of 1,000 Places to See Before You Die, born and raised in Beacon, New York, about 70 miles north of New York City, where I currently live. So about 10 or 15 years ago, a younger demographic started moving up from New York City and Brooklyn. Um, there's a great, easy, convenient 75-minute commute a train linking New York City's Grand Central with Beacon. Population about 15,000, a mile long Main Street lined with restaurants, cafes, galleries, craft beer bars. And Beacon itself is an easy drive away from so many sites within the Mid-Hudson Valley, historical sites and places of natural beauty. So it's really a great 
location for just about anybody, especially those wanting to or needing to commute one or two days or every day into New York City or those who can work remotely. It's great for families. The, the schools are improving. Lots of one, two, and three bedroom homes and lots of rentals of one bedrooms, for example, that go for a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. Maybe not super cheap, but for somebody with a New York City mindset like me, it's really a find, as is Beacon. You can go home again, and I've, I'm glad I've refound it. This is Karen Hugh from Seattle, Washington, and my favorite small city is Ashland, Oregon. It has about 20,000 people and is situated in southern Oregon near the Siskiyou Mountains. Because of that, there's a lot of natural beauty to take advantage of. You can hike, camp, fish, river raft, sail on a lake, or listen to the trees. The town itself is very historic and cute. Victorian homes line the residential streets while the business district has boutiques and art galleries. Ashland's best feature, though, is the Shakespeare Festival. The festival runs a mix of Shakespearean and modern plays from February to October. The Allen Elizabethan Theater is outside, so when you're watching Othello, you're watching comfortably under the stars. It's lovely. Ashland is also super walkable. It's compact and convenient. Restaurants and cafes may not have the cheapest meals, but you'll find fresh organic food and good wine. Finally, the best thing about Ashland for me, a Seattleite who lives with lots of rain is the weather. It's got mild temperatures in winter and warm California-like days in summer. Hi, my name is Dinty W. Moore. I'm recommending Athens, Ohio, a perfect small college town. You can still find a nice comfortable house with some land outside of town for under 100000 In town, closer to the action, you can buy a very nice small house for, oh, 150000 or so. For two hundred to two hundred and fifteen thousand, you can get a five bedroom sprawling old home with pocket doors, oak trim, and a back staircase. So understand that Athens is small, not at all big city. I'm told it is a tough place to be single, but for families, married retirees, it is quite amenable, and a great location for anyone who likes to hike. We are surrounded by state and federal forests and game lands. We have a great bike path. And the local food scene is amazing. Small organic farms, local pork and beef producers, locally roasted coffee, locally harvested dried beans, all manner of eggs and local cheese and local dairy. You get it. And most of the in-town restaurants go out of their way to use these locally sourced ingredients. Our farmer's market regularly makes the best 10 lists, and for good reason. This is a foodie heaven, especially if you like to talk to the folks who grew the food before you taste it. If you think you know Ohio, understand that Athens is really a different place, tucked away down in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. As my friend Mike once said, springtime here is so beautiful, it will bring tears to your eyes. My name is Stephen Gray, and I'm a photographer in Pensacola, Florida. I'm here recommending Pensacola as one of America's most livable cities. Historic downtown Pensacola is in the midst of a full-scale renaissance with plenty of cultural opportunities, award-winning restaurants. It's also 15 minutes away from the world's best beaches. In regard to affordability, the cost of living remains low. It's still easy to find a two-bedroom apartment for less than $900 per month. I currently pay $8.95 a month for one only 10 minutes from downtown. Utilities are also extremely affordable. Pensacola is a low-key town that's got plenty to do for families and young professional singles. It doesn't have the same variety of attractions you'll find in a larger city, but what it has is quality. 
Downtown has an active arts scene and nightlife. During the day, the parks, beaches, and university walking trails offer plenty of opportunities to get outside and enjoy nature. It's easy to get out of town on the weekends as well, with a three-hour drive west putting you in New Orleans, and three hours drive east will land you in Apalachicola, the hub of Florida's gorgeous Lost Coast and the producer of some of the best oysters in America. I'm a lifelong resident of the greater Pensacola area, so naturally I'm a bit biased. With that said, Pensacola has experienced a huge metamorphosis since 2011, with injections of capital from investors and philanthropists helping transform it from a sleepy little navy town to an extremely desirable place to call home. Hi, this is Chris Olson, and I'm going to tell you about Graham, North Carolina. I guess that's con- to me it's considered a very livable place, and my husband and I are looking for a, a home there right now. It's 20 minutes from where we currently live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I found out about it through some friends that I've met here in my wanderings um, in this quintessential college town, and just need to find something more affordable. And in Graham, which is an old mill town, we can find a home for half to two thirds of what we're paying for rent for our house payment. Um, It's right smack dab in the middle of the Tar Heel State near Burlington. Uh, It's a town of about 15,000 people. It's got the right combination of new food places and old soda fountains and diners it's got a great art museum and library it's close to all the things in the triangle that we love um, going to basketball baseball games uh, concerts I'm retired but my husband uh, works here in Chapel Hill but it's a easy beautiful drive to the country for him to get to work so that's where we're looking at putting down roots and I'm a geographical mutt who's called a lot of places home but Graham reminds me of my mama's hometown of Roxburgh North Carolina and somehow it seems fitting that that's where we're gonna land so look it up come join us hi my name is Jason Wisdom and I recommend considering a small town in southeastern Iowa known as Fairfield Fairfield, Iowa is the headquarters of Transcendental Meditation, and I have a teacher there who taught me the TM practice. Full disclosure, I do not live in Fairfield. My life is in New York City, but if I were to choose a simpler existence, Fairfield is definitely a place I would consider. Housing is very affordable. In 2018, you can buy a 1,500-square-foot, three-bedroom, two-bath house for $90,000. The town is a cultural oasis similar in ways to Asheville, North Carolina or Boulder, Colorado. If you like those kinds of towns, then you should like Fairfield. Downsides of Fairfield include some entrenchments concerning the TM organization, including an obsession by some around Vedic architecture, which suggests every house and building should face east, be surrounded by a certain kind of fence, etc. To me, that feels cultish. But TM politics is not the entirety of the Fairfield experience. There is a network of ethical farmers, spirituality festivals including Ama and Mother Mira and more, and many eclectic individuals that definitely make Fairfield, Iowa worth checking out. Hi, I'm Jesse Voigts from WanderingEducators.com, recommending Traverse City, Michigan for one of the most livable places in America. Love arts, culture, and the great outdoors. With over 180 miles of beautiful Lake Michigan coastline and with Sleeping Bear Dunes, named the most beautiful place in America, at the door, the Traverse City area is an incredible place to live. Also named one of America's top beach towns, top charming small towns, and top foodie towns, 
Traverse City is a four-season locale packed with festivals, great food, outdoor sports, plenty of activities for kids, museums, over 40 wineries, water sports, my favorite, coffee roasters, and a strong farm-to-table eat-local-food scene. Locals love the outdoors in both their work and play here, and with beaches galore, you never feel crowded or over-touristy. In the winter, hockey, skiing, and other snowy pursuits are treasured. There are many events, from the world-renowned Cherry Festival to a slew of other festivals, including the Traverse City Film Fest. Musicians come from around the world to perform and live, so there's plenty to see in town and at Interlaken, a fine arts center and school. Michigan, and the Midwest in general, is a, quite an affordable place to live. There's a strong sense of community here and businesses care deeply about their employees. The standard of living, especially with the plethora of cultural opportunities available, is high, while the cost of living is relatively low. Hi, this is Avery Guns, and I want to recommend Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, as a wonderful place to live and even visit, really. But the reason that I would love to live there is because it has an incredible history. There's healing hot springs. Uh, the history of the place is just amazing. It used to be called Hot Springs, and then there was a game show called Truth or Consequences that paid the town to take the name. Hence, um, a drop-off in tourism, a drop-off in people visiting. It's incredibly affordable, and people who might enjoy it would be artists, writers. I've gone down there many times to just check into a Hot Springs Hotel and write to my heart's content for a few days at a time, for months at a time. It's a beautiful place, and also people down there do not judge you, and there is some great coffee, some great pies, and a film festival. Hey, my name is Brian Kevin, and I am a writer and editor living in Midcoast, Maine. Uh, the area where I live has a lot to recommend it, but uh, the other place that popped right into my mind when Rolf asked this question were a couple of towns in Wallowa County in severe northeastern Oregon where I briefly lived some years ago called uh, Joseph and Enterprise, about 1,000 and 2,000 people, respectively. They sit at the foot of the just stunning Wallowa Mountains, which are sort of a geological anomaly uh, of a range that's neither the Cascades nor the Rockies. You have Oregon's largest wilderness area out your back door and just this massive range of uh, ecosystems uh, within a stone's throw. The valley floor is kind of high desert ranch country and the peaks of the Wallawas are like green uh, alpine, you know, wildlife everywhere, crystal blue, high country lakes, and then Hell's Canyon and the Snake River is right next door too. The towns are this great mix then of like mountain culture, ranching culture, and sort of arty back to the land culture that has kind of backwashed its way out there from California and the coast over the course of a few generations. Joseph in particular, because somebody started a foundry there years ago, has this heritage of attracting sculptors and then other artists on their heels. The economy is not particularly robust, but it's not downtrodden either. Uh, the unemployment rate, I think, usually kind of jogs a couple of points behind organs as a whole. People work for public lands agencies or in the service sector. Uh, you can buy a perfectly lovely, you know, two-bedroom home in either town for $140,000, $170,000, maybe $200,000. Uh, the hospitality industry is big, and there's been some kind of entrepreneurial pep and investment in the last decade or so. 
um, catering to a mild annual summer tourism bump, plus a lot of creative class types uh, kind of rolling in who are fleeing Portland or other PNW metros. Neither Joseph nor Enterprise, and they're like five miles apart, uh, are the kind of towns that are going to appeal to someone who is like, you know, moving out of a metro, but they still want all the big city perks just in a quieter and safer environment or something like that. Like these are rural places for damn sure. And they are not going to appeal to anyone who either, you know, isn't passionate about the outdoors or, you know, finds themselves needing a wide slate of dining or entertainment options on their weekends. That being said, there is a terrific literary center that brings in these top-notch writers and has a residency program. There are a handful of really fantastic places to eat and like a really entrenched local food culture, Um, a cool distillery and a terrific and kind of storied brewery called Terminal Gravity that has a presence in both towns. And I just like can't tell you how much I miss gathering there for maybe like an open mic night or something on the weekends and everybody there knew everybody within two degrees of separation and just knew they were living in God's country. Um, There's just a terrific sense of community. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to livability and its city ranking methodology, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the music. Jan Futterman does the show notes. Audio contributors this week include Adam Carlin, Alicia Ard, Sarah Bell, Gooding, Stephen Gray, Avery Guns, Max Hartshorn, Michelle Herman, Karen Hugh, Jamie Lee Jocelyn, Brian Kevin, Tim Leffel, Deborah Lewis, Dinty Moore, Christine Olson, Patricia Schultz, Jessica Voigts, and Jason Wisdom. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts.